2, and we focused on verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So the whole message was pretty much about that. It was about our fallenness. It was about our depravity, human depravity. It was about what theologians call total depravity. The total means touches every part of your being. And uh, I kept telling you through the sermon, because that's kind of heavy stuff, right? Weighing down on you stuff. I kept telling you, oh, next week we'll get to verse 4 where it's, but God raised us up in Christ. Well, I got down to my study Monday morning early, sitting down at my desk, and uh, opened up my Bible and started reading Ephesians 1, and I got to verse 2, which says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it really struck me that I had some of that. I was going to preach a little bit about that part in last week's sermon, but on my feet realized, oh, I'm running out of time. I'll skip those parts and just went on. And I realized on Monday morning that even though I told you today we do the but God part, guess what? We're not, yeah, but, (laughs) we're not going to do the but God part. We're going to do the but the devil part. So we're going to be in verse 2 pretty much, verses 2 and 3, about that one who is uh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul wrote those words in here for a reason. He doesn't waste any words. He chose them very carefully, and he wanted to. He just gave us a little touch of it. We're going to expand on that touch, but he gave us a little touch, enough to make us think about our world. Like, what's really going on down here in the planet? What's really going on here in our world? What are some of the big things that are happening? That's what our sermon is about. And we're to factor in, we're to give proper place to the fact that there is a busy devil, so busy that he's always at his plow. That's a reference, by the way, to a famous sermon in the 1600s by a pastor in England. It was called the Sermon of the Plow. He was preaching to pastors, many of whom were lazy and weren't working hard for their flocks. And he said they should learn from the devil. The whole sermon was learn from the devil about how busy he is at his plow. He's always busy sowing his false doctrines. And we want to understand that he has a place in this world, and it's actually a very large place. Notice Paul's terms. Uh, He says, you once walked in your trespasses and sins, and when you did that, you were actually following the course of this world. The course of this world is literally in the Greek, according to the age of this world. So there's an age of this world, And there's another age of another world. And we all walked according to the age of this world, which is in turn according to something else, which is in turn according to the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who is that? Well, that's the devil. So the sermon today, the one that was supposed to be about but God, is really about the devil We're going to get through it. Nobody stoned me after the early service. A number of people texted me and told me they liked it, so I think it's going to be okay here. But it's about the devil. By the way, we won't get to butt God next week either because one of our other pastors, a layman, Rob Scott, is preaching next Sunday. Yay, Rob. Yeah. Uh 
Hope you'll take me back after that. All right. Here's where we're going to start in thinking about the devil whom we want to factor into our worldview. Guess how many names and titles there are for the devil in the Bible? I want to hear some numbers. What's your number? Take a guess. How many names, how many titles total? <laughs> Amen. That's the truth. We're going to see that. I'll tell you how many God's names and Christ's names, but how many for the devil? All right, good guess. 31. 31. I actually have a list for you. I forget if this list is all of them. I don't think it is, but here's a bunch of them. He is called Abaddon, which is Hebrew for destruction. That's his name. His name is Destruction. He's the accuser, adversary, angel of light. That's a being Satan can transform himself into. Angel of the bottomless pit, antichrist, Apollyon, which is Greek for destroyer, destruction, destroyer. Beast, Beelzebub, which means ruler of the demons. Belial, deceiver, devil, dragon, enemy. Evil one, father of lies. King of the bottomless pit, lawless one. Leviathan, liar. Lucifer, murderer, prince of the power of the air, ruler of the darkness, ruler of this world, serpent of old, son of perdition, fallen star, tempter, thief, wicked one. And there are 31 names and titles for the devil. Those are some or all of them. I forget. Didn't count. Now, as was that Heidi? Well pointed out to us, there are many more names for God. So in the Bible, for God in general, there are about a hundred names and titles. And for Jesus Christ, God the Son, there are a little over 200 names and titles. So he, Jesus gets a way bigger list. God gets a way bigger list. The devil only gets 31, less than a third. In the same way that he gets a number in the book of Revelation, his number is 666. Didn't make the cut, didn't make the cut, didn't make the cut. Didn't get a seven. Nothing like perfection. But the devil gets 31 names. Ezekiel gets one name. Jeremiah gets one name. Daniel gets one name. The Apostle Paul had two names, but one at a time. One is a non-Christian, Saul. One is a Christian, Paul. And so the other apostles. But the devil gets 31 names. What does that indicate? It indicates this is a very important player in the picture of what's going on down here. This is a very important person or personal being who is involved in what's going on down here. We're to take him very seriously. It takes 31 names to capture him. He's big. To describe him, he's powerful. So those are the names. Those are his names. Now, what's his game? And yes, that's an intended reference to the Rolling Stones Sympathy for the devil, which has five times the phrase, but what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. The devil's singing that song. Not far off, Mick Jagger. What's the nature of his game? This key player who gets 31 names. For that, we're going to turn to Isaiah 14. I'll take you there. The words will go up on the slide. You turn in your Bible, please. And this is about the devil's fall. What was working inside of him? What was working in his heart? What were working in his thoughts when he rebelled against God? Isaiah 14 tells us and it instructs us into what's really going on with him. 
What is the nature of his game? Let's look at it. Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven. Remember, we're going to read it later. God threw him out of heaven. There was a battle. These angels fought those angels. Devil and his angels are thrown out of heaven down to earth. How you are fallen from heaven. Now notice his earlier titles. O day star, O son of dawn. That's what he had been before he rebelled. He was the most exalted, the most amazing, the most beautiful, the most capable of all the beings God created. And it went to his head. Just note that. If you believe you have real talent, if you're really good at something, if you're outstanding at something, if you're able to make a lot of money, it'll go to your head. It can very easily go to your head. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, tell them not to trust in the uncertain riches, nor to be haughty. Sin of people with wealth, wealth of the intellect, wealth of money, wealth of whatever, is to be haughty. I did this. That's devilish. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. When, how, where did he lay the nations low? Well, at least Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, he laid us all low. We all fell with them in, in their first transgression. And now we get to his heart. What was going on inside? You said in your heart. And here are five things the devil said. Five I wills. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I want to be up. I will set my throne on high. I want to rule up. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I want to be above everybody. I'm on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I want to be up. I will make myself like the most high. Yes. That's what he wanted. I will, I will, I will. I will make myself like God. That's the nature of his game. That's, the, that's what he's doing down here. That's what's going on. That's what moved him. And then God says, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Things are topsy-turvy in the kingdom of God. The way up is the way down. God exalts the humble. And the way down is the way up. You try to go up, he's going to knock you down. And that's what the devil learned. I will be like the most high. So that is his game. That's what he's about. He wants to be God. He wants to be your God. He wants you to follow him. He wants everybody to follow him. He wants the world to follow him. That's what's going on down here. It's not just about finance. It's not just about your job. It's not just about going on vacation. It's not just about buying a nice car. It's about cosmic warfare at the level of spiritual things. That's what's going on. We need to hear about this because we're so steeped in the naturalism of our era that we tend to view everything as naturalists but we are supernaturalists and there are supernatural things going on here. And this Beelzebub is a key player in it all, 31 names. So that's his game. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will make myself like the most high. Supporting evidence that this is his game, how did he tempt Adam and Eve? He said to them, you can be like God if you eat from that tree. God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be like him. But you can be like God and you'll know good and evil. And they said, that sounds good. And they took. And Eve was deceived by the devil. 
This is part of how the devil tempted Jesus, Luke chapter 4, the second of three temptations, Luke 4, 5, or 6 rather. The devil said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. This prince of the power of the air, he could do that. For it has been delivered to me, God gave it to him, and I give it to whom I will. Very interesting when you think about worldly authority, worldly powers. And then he says to Jesus, if then you, if you then will worship me. That's what he wants. He does not want you to worship God. He wants you to worship him. And when you're just going about your business, ignoring God and ignoring Jesus Christ, you are worshiping him. Unwittingly, unknowingly, you are You're walking according to the course of this age, according to the prince of the power of the air. You're worshiping him. And he says, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Worship me. Seize glory for yourself apart from the will of God. Do like me. That's his game. There's more, much more of this in the book of Revelation. We're gonna go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is said to be, by many expositors, it's said to be the interpretive center of the book. Like, you want to get the book? Get chapter 12. So we're going to go to some chapter 12. Here's what's going out, what's going on. Revelation is telling us how to understand time in light of eternity, how to understand earth in light of heaven. Everything going on here is connected to something there. And so we're going to see what's going on there on the evil side. Revelation 12, verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. That war's in the past. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, past tense. The dragon is the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. So there's warfare in heaven. What happens? Verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So what he did with Eve in the garden, he has now scaled up to the whole world. He deceived her, and now he deceives them. He's the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. What happens then? Revelation 12, 12. But woe to you, O earth and sea. It's not good down here since the devil was thrown down. When he got thrown down, what did he do? He went straight to Eve, straight to Adam. And straight to all of us ever since then, woe to you, O earth, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that the devil has none of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, none of that. He's not thankful to God for blessings. He is in great wrath. He is an angry devil. Why? Because he knows that his time is short. God's got him on a short leash for a short time, and then his time is over, and it's in the pit with you. Because God is God. The devil is not God. So this is for real. I know we're steeped in naturalism, so it's almost like, really? Can I really believe? Yes, you must believe that. This is really what's going on. Invisible. There's a powerful being, takes 31 names in the Bible to capture him and all his vantage points, 
and he's been thrown down. He's working here now, and he's angry. He's in great wrath because he knows he doesn't have much time. So he never slumbers. He's always at his plow. He's always sowing his bad seed. He's always working evil. He's always tempting. And here's, here's who he really focuses on down here, Revelation 12, 13. Now when the dragon, that's the devil, saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Who's the woman that gave birth to Jesus? Well, it's the people of God. And in the book of Revelation, it stands for the people of God, Old Testament, and the people of God, New Testament. And thrown down and angry and having a short time, who's he primarily want to go after? He wants to persecute persecute those who love the Lamb, those who love and follow the Lord Jesus. And we read on, Revelation 12, 17, then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. That's you, that's me, if you follow Christ. On those who keep the commandments of God falteringly, very imperfectly, very repentingly, but substantially, and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. It's like, go ahead, put a Glock to my head, tell me to deny Jesus, and I'm just going to say, pull the trigger, I'm going to heaven. I will hold to my testimony of Jesus, come what may. And in that day, there were many sealing their testimony with their blood. So the dragon is furious with the church, persecuting the rest of the woman's offspring, those who keep the commandments and hold the testimony of Jesus. This is what's going on on our planet. I don't think they tell you about this on MSNBC. I don't think it's even on Fox News. This is not in our media. We're not being informed of this. And so we tend to just go out in the world and, well, there's cars, there's trucks, there's money, there's people, there's homes, and that's what there is. There's government, there's war, there's a, and we forget there's actually invisible spiritual warfare, and that's the real story about what's going on here. It's the real story. There's more. So that's chapter 12. We're introduced to the dragon, the ancient serpent. In chapter 13, we're introduced to his sidekicks, to two of his minions. They're both called beasts. Let's read about them. Chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns. Now, don't try to, don't be like the prophecy watch people, in my opinion. I mean, you can be like them, bless you, but don't be like them because it, it's not about, okay, if I can just keep an eye on everything in the world and I can figure out, all right, that one's Russia and that one's China and that one's North Korea and that one's this leader. It's not about that at all. Everybody does that in every age and they've all been wrong so far. So just scrap that. What is this about? This is saying, this is apocalyptic genre. It's saying John is seeing things, and it represents the power of nations. What nations? Any nations in any time. There are nations in any time that are going to be the devil's sidekicks. And to some extent or another, all nations are, because all nations have, well, not all. Let's take, take our nation. Are there good people in government? Yeah, there are good people in government who love Jesus Christ, and there are people maybe who don't love Jesus Christ, but are about trying to work by truth and do good things and serve and so on. There are good people in government. Are there evil people in government? Oh, you, you've noticed. <laughs> yes, there, there are. So it's always both. I'm not trying to say government's all bad, but every government is a mix of good and evil. Every government has a lot of corruption. And here's what goes on with some governments. They got 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names in its heads. What are the blasphemous names? In their day, it was Rome. And Rome said, Caesar is God. 
That's blasphemy. In our day, the ultimate expression of that is totalitarian government that says government is God. Are we headed in that direction? Hmm. Maybe. And to the dragon, and to it, to the beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They followed government. So for a whole lot of people, government is the big thing. Politics are the big thing. They're always talking about politics. They're always watching politics. They're all into politics because it's the biggest game on the planet for them. Not for us. The kingdom of God is the big game for us. The gospel is the big thing for us. The church of the Lord Jesus is the big thing for us. Politics, smolitics. Take him or leave him. Well, we got to take him. We need government, so let's have good government. And there ought to be Christians in government shining light. And there are. But it's not the big show for us. But the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon unknowingly. They're worshiping Satan when they follow the beast and its evil parts for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So I want to make clear to you, this is not about Republicans or Democrats, because one of you is going to come to me after the service and lay in to me, and it's not the slightest bit about that. This is about all governments in all of time since the fall until the last day. And there's a mix There's righteousness and there's evil. There's goodness and there's corruption. But a lot of people are like, who's like the beast? Man, government's everything. Listen, we are people of God and government is not everything. Jesus Christ is everything. And we're willing to say no to our government if need be. Amen? Amen. Yeah, we'll do that. That's why I don't want to give in to little tests of my allegiance that mean nothing that prime me to give in my allegiance in bigger tests that come later. All right, you, fo- you following me? You tracking with me? Yeah, all right. Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? So the dragon is the devil and he empowers earthly governments to persecute Christians in particular. Is, do you think we're getting closer to that or farther away from that right now? Yeah, is there any doubt? So I'll tell you what didn't make it into the sermon. I had a whole thing right there on ways that we're getting closer. You wanted to hear that part, didn't you? I thought, one, that part's going to get me into trouble with somebody. And two, I just can't fit it in. So it didn't make it. Didn't make the cut. And then we read more, Revelation 13, 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Again, Rome, emperor worship. Our day, maybe totalitarianism. In our day, maybe it is more like becoming the confluence of government and finance and cultural credit and media and tech and education. It seemed like the the devil is winning in those fields. Amen? That was a weak amen. You're all not sure. I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. I'm talking about it's not going well for the gospel and truth, though the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So let's read on. And it was allowed, the beast was allowed, because God is sovereign and they can only do what he allows. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It's a brief time, only till the last day, and then they're done. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. 
And also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it by God over every tribe and people and language and nation. See, I'm not talking about one nation. It's all nations and all of time. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Government. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. So lest you mistake this, I absolutely love the United States. I have a flag in the back window of my pickup truck. We got a big flag flying out front of our house. It has influenced a whole lot of our neighbors who now also have big flags flying outside of their houses, and I love it. And I would fight for this nation. Well, they don't want me. I'm too old. I would send my sons. They're too old. I'd send my grandsons. They're not old enough. All right, I'm sorry. I'm out. I love this place. But John's going to summarize what every place is when we read 1 John 5, 19. Here it is. John summarizes all this and says, we know, here's what we know. We know that we are from God, all right, we know that much, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know. We know that. It's not a neutral world out there. It's not just, oh, the devil's up in heaven doing bad things somewhere. No, it's here in this world. He's been cast down, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's the word we used to walk according to till we met Jesus Christ. So this is what's going on. This is what's happening down here. This is the real world. This is the real action. This is really what's happening Don't fail to factor this in. This is what Paul hints at when he says, you walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in sons of disobedience. You were walking according to all that, and now you've been transferred into the kingdom of God, and you have a new king, and your allegiance is to him. So that's the world we live in. What are we to do? There's actually a lot in the Bible about what we should do. Well, actually, every word in the Bible What should we believe and what should we do? Let me single out some of the passages that tell us what to do in light of the devil's activities. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What's it mean when you put on the whole armor of God? There's a breastplate, there's a helmet, there's a sword, there's sandals, there's the whole thing. What does it mean put on the whole armor of God? Let me summarize it in this way. It means become a strong Christian. You've got your waist gird with the belt of truth, and you're ready to stand, you're ready to do battle, you're ready to push back on the devil's schemes. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? For verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not naturalistic. Our battle is not just with people. Our war is not with individuals. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So in light of that, what's Paul tell us to do? Be armed, Christians. Be armed. You've got the word of God. You've got prayer. You've got salvation. You've got the sword of the spirit, the word. You've got your feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of peace. 
Be strong Christians, because this is the world we live in. Peter adds to that in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. What does that mean? You've got serious things on your mind. doesn't mean you shouldn't laugh. I hope you laugh a lot. I laugh a lot. Christians should laugh a lot because we've got the joy of the Lord, and there's lots we can enjoy and laugh about. But Peter says, but you ought to be sober-minded because there's an adversary. There's a busy devil. So be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to eat you for lunch. He wants to chew you up and spit out the parts. So what does Peter tell you to do? Be sober-minded, be watchful, and then at the end, resist him. Come on, put up a fight. Engage in some battle. Don't just roll over and give him your belly. Don't just give in to the first little temptation that flings by you, little fiery dart. Just, okay, I'll go with that. No, no, no. Resist him. Firm in your faith. You can't pry me away from Jesus Christ. You can't get me to deny the gospel. No, I'm firm in my faith, knowing that the same, this helps, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, frankly, we experience very little suffering. Maybe more of it's coming. There'll probably be economic persecution. You won't have the culture points and you won't be able to get a loan, stuff like that. That might be coming. It's coming in other places. Don't think it'll stop there. It might be coming here. But, but here's the thing. We, we don't really suffer much. I read somewhere, I forget who it was, read in some book recently, somebody said, one of the problems with Christians nowadays is we don't get stoned. He didn't mean like with, with pot. Yeah. He meant like we're not somewhere where we have to take stands or they'll kill us. And maybe they will kill us. And we don't take those stands. It's too easy to be a Christian. In fact, let me just contrast with being stoned. This is a little off the chart, but you'll follow me. So I just read yesterday, and then I read it again this morning, a report that just came out from Tom Rayner. He's with Lifeway Research, part of the Southern Baptist Church, and they study what's going on with churches, what are the trends, what's the data, and all that. And they've just released a, a really interesting new article, and I totally believe it. They said, um, in the past, like let's say when I first became a Christian some years ago, it was the ordinary thing that every believer was in church three times a week. It was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and everybody was there, everybody. All right, not all of them made it back Wednesday night, but they were all there for that. They say, by contrast, just prior to COVID, the average good Christian in your flock, the average member of your church came to church twice in a month. So we went from three times a week to twice a month, and we're supposed to disciple them and teach them the whole counsel of God and prepare them for spiritual battle. But that was pre-COVID. Now they're saying since COVID, our latest data says the average good Christian who's a member of your church is now coming once a month or once every six weeks. I think it's spot on. What kind of preparation is that for spiritual warfare with a busy, powerful devil? 
Well, it's not much. Not only do we not get stoned because we stand with Christ, we don't even go to church. Fifteen vacation weekends a year. Do you really need 15 vacation weekends? I need family time. Well, what better family time could there be than you and your kids and your wife are hearing the gospel? That's pretty quality family time if you ask me. What does James tell us to do? James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Same thing Peter said. Resist. Put up a fight and he will bing, flee from you. You'd like to see the devil run? Who's that guy? Christian musician has a song, run, devil, run, devil, run, devil, run. Yeah, Crowder, that's right. We were on vacation in the Outer Banks. I turned that song on and turned it up loud, and our grandkids were dancing. Off topic. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come on, put up a fight. Don't just give in. And while you're putting up the fight, keep in mind what Jesus says so you know what the game is here. John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But he dresses his stealing and his killing and destroying up to make it look like a fishing lure, and he dangles it in front of the dumb Christian, and he says, ooh, take a bite, little fishy, fishy. And you go, oh, that looks good. <laughs> You need to understand he's a thief. He's coming to steal from you. He's coming to kill you spiritually. He's coming to destroy you. By contrast, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So there's a thief who steals and kills and destroys, and there's a Savior, a lamb, who gives you abundant life. What do you want? And what do we do? Revelation 12, 11 reads, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Here's how they conquered him. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Cornerstone Christians, let's be those kinds of Christians who say, well, they can kill me. I'm going to stick with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to let them make me compromise. I'm going to be one of those who love not their lives even unto death. So I just happened to be reading a magnificent biography of the great reformer in Geneva in the 1500s, John Calvin. That's why he was quoted in last week's sermon. Came out of the book. That's why he's quoted and mentioned in this week's sermon. I'm reading this amazing biography, which has teeny print. So... I just went past the part where we're in Geneva and you got the Roman Catholic Church and you got reformers and there's war. There's Protestants, Catholics, there's war because they disagree. And the, the Catholics are persecuting these few people who say, I'm a Protestant. They're persecuting them. So right in the story a few weeks ago, a few days ago, um, there were four young men, by young, I don't know, like 20, who were told by the church, you turn away from your Protestant position or we're going to burn you. And all four of them said, then you'll burn us. And John Calvin wrote them a letter. And man, to read the letter, he wrote them basically to say, you're about to die for Jesus Christ. It's important now that you do it well. And he coached them on how to die well 
for Jesus Christ. We can't get people to come to church more than once every six weeks. They're willing to be burned at the stake for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. They love not their lives even unto death. At the same time, over in Germany, here's Martin Luther's words for such. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So the problem with our age is nobody needs that. We don't have to let goods and kindred go. We don't have to let this mortal life also go. But increasingly, maybe we will. Some people are fearful about that, like what's coming, because it seems to be coming. I'm more like, I don't know, you think I'm bizarre here, there's something wrong with me. I'm kind of animated by it, I'm like excited by it, like, ooh, looks like some good times ahead. We're going to war, it's going to get serious. We're going to find out who the real believers are. What do you do? Remember this, Romans chapter 8. Let's end this on a better note. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, compound Greek word, who pair, like super duper, and nikao, like Nikes, overcome, conquer. And all these things we are more than, we are super conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So let me read you a couple of stanzas of Martin Luther's great hymn. They're scrunched together here. Here's what Luther wrote, and then we're going to sing the hymn. I, I, when I knew by Tuesday morning I'm definitely preaching on the devil instead of but God raised this to life, I called Wallace and said, uh, any chance we can do Martin Luther's hymn at the end? And he said, yeah, yeah, we can do it. So we're doing it. Let's, I'll read it for you. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Some of you want to read more about this? Here's for extra credit. There's a book by Michael Heisner, H-E-I-S-N-E-R. Just get the title. The title is The Unseen Realm. Michael is a pastor, a Reformed Baptist pastor in northern Colorado. He wrote this book. It's not on the popular level. It's a little more on the scholarly side of things. But the title is The Unseen Realm, subtitle, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. Get it and read it. It'll help you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us these portions of your word. We pray that you will strengthen us to be the kinds of Christians who would even seal our testimony with our blood. We pray that those among us who are not believers would have their eyes open to understand what's really going on in the world and in time and for eternity, and that you and your mercy and grace would turn them to the Lord Jesus where they may find life and pardon forgiveness of their sins. We pray for the believers of Cornerstone Church, especially the members of Cornerstone Church. Would you strengthen us with these words 
Would you give us backbone? Would you establish our resolve to live for Christ and to live godly in this present age? Make us a people for your possession and a people for your praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.